Hello everybody, welcome to the Care Home Option Podcasts. Uh, I'm Gabriella Wills. With me today, as always, is Drew Rice, the producer. Hello, Gabriella. Hello, everyone. And um, just a re- quick recap uh, about the last episode where we started to describe really life in a care home, the overall routines, what do people do, uh, the visitors and how that works in that environment. And today we will actually continue on the same theme to address and describe to you some of the other aspects of life in a care home. And uh, hopefully, again, you will find it interesting and helpful. Let's talk about staff who make the world turn in a care home. Wow. Um, (laughs) Is that a big topic? Yes, it is. And very, very important, of course. They do indeed make the wheels turn uh, or stop if they're not there. And anyone listening to this in this we're in 2022 um, but there is an issue of staff shortages not just in care homes but in the social sector overall and every effort needs to be made to correct that because the care staff uh, look after our nearest, dearest and vulnerable members of society Um, and we do need to make sure that that continues. Before going into what who they are and um, what is happening uh, in in terms of staff we touched a little bit about shifts etc but I would like to touch on Covid and we are thankfully past the first few rounds, two years of Covid Uh, And hopefully next winter uh, and from now on the future will not be as affected by this or another virus in the same way. But the last two years have been really extremely trying for anyone involved, whether working or living or having somebody within a care home. And especially the beginning where there was no testing, etc. And the reason I'm mentioning it now is that I myself and I'm sure everybody else who has got anything to do with care homes would applaud the bravery of individuals during this time. Going in, living their own families, many of them moved into care homes. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about staff in order to look after their residents as they saw it. It was very frightening. And I saw people, whether they're carers, nurses, managers, chefs in a care home, cleaners, who really put their lives on the line in order to continue and look after the people. So I would like everyone listening just to bear that in mind. Being a carer is a very complex job. It's not just about, as we describe, giving somebody a shower or helping them to eat. It's emotional. People look after residents for years. Many of them say, this person, I think of them as if they were my own parent or grandparent. Um, Many of them 
are educated. There may be doctors and lawyers and teachers who work in care because they can't work in their own profession. Maybe they came from another country and maybe circumstances. And above all, there are people. There are people with their own lives, with their own families, who come and do a job. And I would like to ask everybody to show respect and appreciation and actually be protective. Sadly, it doesn't, it's not always the case, um, but we won't be able to run a care home without those people who really, really care. And I think the, the title of a care is the appropriate one because they do, on the whole, care a lot for the people who they look after. And it's hard work, physically demanding, and they're also, which just made me think, dedicated. Very. And, you know, they deal with complex issues. Uh, they have the resident who is maybe frail, maybe because of dementia doesn't always behave nicely. And it's not those people I was talking about before, because if somebody doesn't have the cognition and judgment, then what they do is not their fault. But on the receiving end, it doesn't matter. It grinds you if somebody continuously calls you names or hits you when you try to help them, throw things at you. Um, it is physically very hard. It is emotionally very hard. You see people in decline. They may have lots of good times, but most people who come into a care home for older people as a permanent resident will die there. And those people looked after them sometimes for mm. years. So there's so much skill is required. And also they support families, relatives, during hard times, people feel. We talked before, but people may feel guilty. People may feel that something wasn't done right. So, so much skill and sensitivity is required. Um, people often, when they talk about um, care staff, and particularly when talking about the fact that they are um, on low salaries, say, you know, people, why shouldn't they, somebody not go and stack shelves in, in, in a supermarket rather than be a carer? Um, I'm not suggesting that that isn't a hard job in itself, but it's nowhere as complex. And we need to remember that that is a highly skilled job. And yeah, very, very hard. And a lot of the emotional and physical burden people take with them. And many people have back problems. And thankfully now we have equipment to use, etc. But it is a hard, and again, 12 hour shifts, Normally, they do two or three days in a row. That's long hours. Don't forget that you, before that, you probably need to travel. Maybe mm. most people don't have cars. They may travel one or two buses to get to work. They'll do their 12-hour shifts of physical with maybe one or one and a half hours breaks. And then they have to do the journey back. And then they have to get up and do that again. And they also have to go home, care for themselves, care for their families, their children, their own parents. That's why we need to look after them. Yeah. And we need to show them appreciation and love. And I'm sorry if I sound preachy, but um, I've always felt that for me, um, of course, the residents, people who, the older people, um, I would do everything I can in order to 
improve their quality of life. That is my job. But as a manager, senior manager, my job was always to try and improve the attitude towards and the working environment for our staff. And in care homes, I would say, as we do for nurses, especially after COVID, uh, we need to show the same respect to, to, to the care staff in care homes and the managers and the administrators and the chefs and the cleaners. They all, like you say, make those wheels turn. Let's just, you've t- talked about what you were a care home manager. Just tell me about that role and your experiences. So a care home manager, that's right, I started my career as a, uh, a manager of a care home. And I think I did mention in, in the first episode about a manager of a care home needs to be registered. So not only are they employed by whoever employs them to work there, they also are accountable. Their conduct is uh, they are accountable to the Care Quality Commission. So there is a double whammy there in terms of performance and and being uh, a a person who is fit to fulfill that role. They should have impeccable credibility and and integrity. So again, a lot lies on their shoulders. Uh, As a care manager, registered manager, you're never off. Your phone is glued to your ear you know they will not go home unless they are convinced that everyone there is safe that is both obviously the the people who live there but also the people who work there and any problem that arises will come to them in order to either sort it themselves or um, arrange for it and that is from building issues to staffing issues to somebody having a problem in the home so again, a very, very demanding uh, job with a huge amount of responsibility. Is there training? Yeah, well, most managers would have worked as a carer or, you know, in somewhere within the social care or health system. There is a lot of training for managers and for staff. Um, some of it, a lot of it is actually compulsory. So again, it has to be because of health and safety if you give medication you've had to have training and care quality commission will want to see those records um and 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 that they are updated and people know what they're doing so there's a lot of training that is compulsory and of course people then do the training maybe as a manager you do more and 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 progress from there so there is quite a lot that needs to be done and as a team really the leadership of a care home like anywhere else will set the tone of how people behave how they help each other do they work as a team or is it fractured and i think i mentioned when people go to um, look at a home at the beginning if at all possible to meet the registered manager even for a very short time it's really important and if they couldn't do it through that process because somebody else does that or they're away or different reasons try and set up a meeting with the manager at some point they won't talk to you necessarily about when your relative had a bath but it is really just to engage create a relationship that will lead to a better way and a better partnership of care that I'll come to in a minute, which is an absolutely 
key ingredient in optimizing somebody's stay in a care home. So when we're looking at a care home, how many staff should there be in relation to how many residents in the home? There are two issues to consider. One is, as you say, the number of staff, and the second is the skills. Because the regulation, uh, apart from nurses, which I'll talk about in a second, does not say how many staff there should be. In the old days, it had a ratio, but that, that is ceased. And the regulation now states that there need to be adequate staff to fulfill the needs of those, the residents who live there. Adequate is quite a broad it term is. that can be defined by a relative or by the staff. Indeed. But it is left in that way uh, for a purpose, and this is the responsibility of a registered manager who knows that they have to comply with the regulations to make sure, because something goes wrong, if then it then transpires that there weren't enough staff or they did not have the right skills, it is then the, the, the responsibility and, 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 and that um, the manager and the provider take. So if we, if we start this from the point that the registered manager and the provider will want to have uh, we want to comply with safety first and with the regulation and, of course, provide a good service which will bring in more people, then they will need to have the right number and the right skills. So in terms of nurses, if it is a nursing home, non-nursing homes will not have nurses. Um, we'll have to have at least one nurse 24-7. So there should never be a time when there isn't a nurse on site. But of course, if you have 100 people, one nurse can't do that. And even if you had five people with nursing care, you will still need four nurses because there will be one during the day, one during the night for half the week, and then there will be another one. So you need one nurse per shift, but that's four nurses. So with nurses, they have to have the right nursing qualifications and they also need to be the numbers at all times. With care staff, they also need to be uh, care, carers uh, at all times. You don't have a care home where suddenly there are no carers. And the ratio, this is a, a currency we use, a ratio of staff to resident will be uh, determined by the needs of the people that they serve. The higher the need, the more staff. The geography of the building, are there lots of stairs? Is it very uh, purpose-built and they can see the people even if they sit in the office, etc. So the geography, the environment will impact on that. The budget needs to come into it. So the range will normally be in homes for older people will be of roughly from one to four to about one to seven or eight. So that means each carer on their shift will have the responsibility to look after the needs of between four to eight people. A lot of the time they will work with a colleague. So 
if I look after, if I'm a carer and I look after four people and you're a carer, Drew, and we're working together on the same kind of unit, the two of us will look after eight people together and we will probably help each other with some people who need two people to care for them, etc. During the night, it will fall quite a bit because, as we spoke before, most people will be in bed sleeping, but there are units for people with dementia maybe or other where people are kind of awake and active at night as per day. And again, it is the responsibility of the registered manager to make sure that people are safe and that their needs and risks can be addressed adequately. But of course, as we mentioned a number of times, this is not I'm living in my home and I have people coming to look after me. This is a shared environment. And people need to understand that there may be times that they have to wait. Emergencies aside, because of course they will always be addressed as and when straight away. But for routines, sometimes there is there is a bit of waiting and that needs to be taken into consideration. And hopefully in homes where there is good practice, these things will be assessed. So we're talking about eight o'clock in the morning, everybody wants to get up, everyone wants their breakfast. Getting up means also a lot of personal care. If I look after eight people, after four people, Drew, as I said in the example before, and as a carer, I can't help all of them at once. So in, in good homes, there will be some kind of prioritizing. Uh, maybe somebody, um, we can help them very quickly and then means they can get on with their day because their needs are low. And then we can uh, tend to those with higher needs who will take longer. Or maybe there is somebody who has no mobility, they're at risk of pressure sores, that when your bottom basically will get and your back will get red and sore uh, if you stay on them lots of time. So actually, if that person, it's just an example, will benefit from now changing position and getting up, then maybe they will say, oh, let's help them first and then do, uh, attend to the others. People have appointments they need to get to. So there is always a, ju a judgment call by the team uh, that uh, will create some kind of a, a queue system. But it's important to know that the care staff, as we mentioned, work very hard. They try to do the best for everybody, uh, takes into account their preferences, but also the, the whole. And people like routine as well. So they like to know when they're getting up. Obviously, things change because someone might exactly like mm -hmm. you say, have to go to a hospital appointment. So they might have to swap around. But generally, routine, I imagine, is very important for people. And as, and as much as possible, mirrors their old routine when they were at home. Yeah, so yes, routine. Um, I, I think what you're touching on now, Drew, is, is an important factor, which is communication. So where there is good practice, a member of staff will go to their four people and say, good morning, how are you? How did you sleep? Uh, I'm going to help Mrs. So-and-so first and then I'll come and help you. Are you all right? Can I get you a cup of tea? And not leave somebody just not knowing. Mm -hmm. Some people like it at the same time, some people don't. But again, we have to look after the whole and make sure that all these factors are taken into account. So I think on this 
issue that you're talking because there needs to be flexibility. And some homes will say, we do it the same way every day. This one is first, second, third, fourth. And sometimes it's actually, no, everybody wants to get up early, so let's do a rotation. As long as it's communicated and consulted with the people, and then there is a compromise reached that everybody is okay with, then it's fine. Right. I think that is. But, you know, you talked about appointments, and there is a, uh, a connection with, mem- with staff, and I think it is very important. I would like to highlight it because I know I struggled with that. Uh, at times when I worked in, in, in a care home as a manager. People and older people more so than younger for, for obvious reasons have many appointments that they go out to a hospital appointment or a dentist or etc. If they can, they will be taken. There was an expectation in some places that I worked at where the expectation was that a member of staff will go with them. Now, an appointment like that can take three or four hours to get the cab or whichever person may be in a wheelchair to go, to wait, to have the whatever, and then come back. So all it takes, if we talk about the ratio of one to four, let's say I have 20 people in the unit. So I will have five members of staff. And now I have to take maybe one or two of them out for half a day to take one or two people to an appointment, I've lost 40% of the staff. And what it means is that the remaining 18 people will now only have three members of staff to look after all of them. And it is impossible. It is absolutely impossible. And therefore, some care homes are asking for non-urgent appointments for relatives to either accompany themselves, if it's possible, or bring in a carer that they hire, or arrange with the home, pay the home to bring in an extra member of staff. It can't be managed from within the care home uh, staffing for the shift. A difference is if it is uh, an emergency, somebody is now taken to hospital, and nobody wants to go on their own, and especially if it's somebody with dementia, then they should be accompanied. They can't explain themselves, and also they may be very anxious about where they're going, etc. They may not comprehend. Um, the, the care home should sp- send somebody with the resident in the ambulance or going with them. But I would ask relatives to then go to the hospital as soon as is possible to relieve that member of staff because again they left people behind and especially if it's a night time their admission somebody is not feeling well they're sent to hospital at night you may have a team of three or four people again obviously depending on the size of the home but let's say if there are three or four people and one now goes to hospital we don't have enough people and you can't get an agency member of staff to come and cover at 11 or 12 at night. So what is normally done is, the, the obviously the relatives will be phoned to tell, look, we had to send so-and-so to hospital, they're taken to that hospital, please can you make your way as soon as possible, and then our member of staff can be brought home. For both scenarios, the emergency and the non-emergency, of course we'll take into account if a 90-year-old person 
uh, went into hospital and the only relative they have is a spouse who is more or less at the same age, we don't expect them to then take this person in a wheelchair, etc. But it, it is not something that people can just expect will be covered without, not because care providers are greedy, it is because it can be a huge burden on the number of staff left in the home, which of course, if it's not you who has the appointment, people then say, well, where is all the staff? And it's not acceptable. So I thought it is an important point to make and to prepare people that although their loved one is looked after on a day-to-day basis, there are still some responsibilities that we expect them to take, and especially when it is to somewhere outside of the care home. And uh, in-house appointments, let's say someone would like a chiropodist or to have their hair done or maybe some physical training. How do you begin to arrange that? Whose responsibility is it? Sure. So I will differentiate between having hair done and kind of health, primary health appointments. Here, most homes have hairdressers who come, um, or sometimes maybe somebody have their own hairdresser, which they like. People come into the home. Most places will have a salon where the hair can be washed and it's done. It's not necessarily included in the fees, but it's, it's, it's there and it's definitely done. But let's talk about um, what is primary care. GP, uh, dentist, optician, chiropodist, maybe um, a physiotherapist, etc. So these are normally not as a routine. They are not included in the fees as a routine if there is a fee attached. Um, a chiropodist, some people are entitled to it under NHS because maybe they have diabetes or etc. So they will have it for free. Others like it because they want their fee to feel or or look nice and it will be charged but it will be organized normally by the care home unless again somebody wants to bring their own that they know. GP uh, and this is probably going to change because of what we hear in the news all the time about the um, very lowering numbers of available GPs and I think most people listening myself included Um, are finding getting an appointment with a GP more and more difficult. It is the responsibility of the care home to make access to a GP available to a resident. So they need to make it possible for somebody to register and visit a GP. And when somebody moves into a care home, one of the first things that will be done is register them with a practice. It can be the practice of their choice if the practice is within the catchment area and is prepared to come and look after them or for them to go there. Or there are many homes will be associated with a practice and register everybody with that practice. And again, probably more for ease than anything else. The GPs in many homes will come and do a visit once a week, maybe once every other week and offer exactly the same service that is offered in a GP practice. They're not specialists. They may refer someone. They do the prescriptions for the medication, which again, most people in a care home may have, I don't know, 10, 15 medications during the day. 
So, you know, ordering that, etc. all the prescriptions can be done, I'll say in bulk, but again, obviously it's done per person by the practice. What is important for everyone to acknowledge, note, understand, is that the, it's not the care home's GP. It is every individual's GP. We all are registered with a GP. And that our, the relationship is between the individual and that. And when, when it comes to that, it is exactly like living on your own. You have a GP, you have a right to ring them. They may or may not answer, they may or may not give you an appointment, but that is the residence and GP relationship. Of course, residents give permission or the person having the authority to do that on their behalf for the staff to manage this, to write the notes and do what the GP said. So normally, I work in a care if, if I'm not if I'm your neighbor and I help you drew a little bit that doesn't give me the right to then sell ask the GP so what did you do what's wrong with drew mm. that is is private but of course if the nurses and the carers need to act on the actions or the whatever the GP has given there is a consent that is given for them to do that on a resident's behalf but if there is, if somebody is not happy with what a relative, for example, even a resident with the GP, they have a right like anyone else in England to make contact with a GP and talk to them about it. The staff will not necessarily be the people who have to do that or can do that. And I don't know that people always get that, that they think it's the GP for the home. It's not. It's your GP. You're registered as an individual and that gives you all the, the, the rights that anyone else has, but it will hopefully be managed pretty much by the home on the person's behalf. And as I said, there's always a choice to say, I don't like this GP, I want to go with this one. And if they are happy to do that, by all means. Um, the same goes if people want a, a private doctor, a consultant, if they are registered with a GP, which they would be because everybody has to, then it's always best if the consultant or the private person they bring in informs the GP, again, like, like anywhere. Dentists, opticians, um, it's changing. Opticians, most homes will have one or more opticians who come and do eye tests and then they'll take the glasses and do you know bring them back so that is managed by the home but again it's not paid by them if somebody is entitled to NHS glasses then great and if not it's a private matter dentists are not free to older people anymore not as much as they used to be so there are some charges depends on what it is but most homes will have one or more dentists that they are you know, that visit, a lot of what can be done in the home will be done in the home. And if not, then it will be done in, in the surgery if it's possible. There's always, with particularly with dentists, can the person comply? Can they get into a chair? And otherwise they do what they can, at least the health checks, uh, to see that uh, oral hygiene is as good as it can be. People don't have pain. These primary care services that people i wouldn't say enjoy but have access to when they live in their own home 
are all available for when they live in a care home. The care home's responsibility is to make sure that they can access them and sometimes they coordinate them, but they don't provide them. They don't hold responsibility for the decisions made by those practitioners. Of course, they all have their own professional responsibilities. Gabriella, you mentioned before about the partnership of care, the partnership between relatives and the care home. Tell us about that, please. I'm glad this is coming towards the end of this episode because it is something that I would consider fundamental to life in a care home. Um, and I'll, I'll talk through it. Um, when somebody moves into a care home, if they don't have any relatives, then that's it. But luckily that doesn't happen that often. So if I, for example, as a, as a private person, was um, helping my mother, for example, to go into a care home, I'm not suddenly thinking, well, she's yours now. I'm walking away. Tell me if something goes wrong, but otherwise I don't want to know. That is not the case. Even when that close relative, it may be one or more children or a spouse normally, even if they live overseas, they want to have information and as importantly if not more is they want to contribute we mentioned the care plan the dynamic and changing document where we identify what the preferences and needs and risks of the person that need to address by the care home and what will be done to address them and then is it done um this is probably the first point where the relatives, if they have the authority, again, and the consent of the person, should be involved in because they know them probably better than anyone else. And that is where the working together, the collaboration, the partnership between the person themselves, if as much as they can, their relatives and at the moment I'm using it for the really the nuclear the very their circle of nearest and dearest and have the authority to make decisions um, the care hub and then any other health professional professionals that is a team effort and everybody has a role to play and there are some things that can only be executed by a person but that does by one fraction of that but it doesn't mean that it's done without consultation so for example medical decisions will be done by the doctor let's say it's the gp or a specialist uh, consultant they're the only one in the end who will decide what treatment is given the relative can't say i want them to have this but it is expected these days that the GP will inform the relative and maybe consult with them. What would the person like to do? Again, obviously the person themselves, the resident, if they can. But the more they come willing to work with, let's talk about the care team, because the care home, the medical, let's leave that aside for a minute. In terms of giving information, asking for information, and trusting. 
So again, if I give a scenario that if a family doesn't trust that the care home will do what needs to be done, if they want every minute of the day or five times a day to ring and say, so what did they eat and when did they go to the toilet and what are they doing now? It feels like if, if you don't want, if you don't trust us to do what we, what you asked us to do, um, it feels as if you don't trust it. Maybe this is not, maybe you want to do it yourself. And of course you can't. So maybe we are not the right people. I'm not asking anyone to trust blindly. And of course, at the beginning, there will be more of those questions. But if people invest in building up the relationships, in talking to the managers, make an appointment, ask to talk to them. How do they operate? How do we build this? With a member of staff, if they didn't ring you back when they said, tell them. It made me really anxious. Please, if you tell me so-and-so, please do that. And it, it needs to work both ways. You know, I'm, 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 you know, the same needs to be coming from, from the care team. I've come across times when, when families, and especially if they don't agree with each other, putting so much, so many demands and the burden on the care staff to try and negotiate that is that it makes it very, very difficult actually to care for the person well. And the person who is losing out of it is unfortunately the resident. I don't have a solution and I'm not saying that it's just the relatives or just the home. There are no rights or wrongs. But if people who are listening to this remember it, to strive and create a trusting relationship with the care team, they will all be winners. Praise them when things go well. Tell them when things don't. Um, most of the time it will be resolved at that level and there's no need to go anywhere else. But we, talked very, we will talk separately about where to go when there is a complaint. Um, I think it is, it, it is a winning formula that um, works fantastically when uh, it works and not so fantastic when it doesn't. And I'd like to give an example. A man was admitted uh, and his wife didn't live too far away. And she kept complaining about the laundry. Now, laundry in care homes is notorious for things going wrong because, again, it shouldn't, but it, it, it is part. Um, but she kept complaining with one doing it right and etc. And the home came up with a really good solution. They tried and they said, would you like to do some of his laundry? And she says, yes, because I always did it. And now I have nothing to do. And I would love to at least do his, I don't know, his shirts. It was one of the ways in which she, she could still care for him. She feels that she does something for him. She does it her own way. And it didn't hurt anyone, but it was about the willingness of both sides, the care team on one, the relative on the other, to say it's not, oh, we do everything or you do everything or let's find who can contribute to what. Um, so that is kind of a success story. But the word for people to, to remember, which is everything in that, is trust. Why would it? Mm -hmm. you, know, you wouldn't want your person to be your, your relative in a place that you don't trust. 
And trust doesn't doesn't kind of come with no effort. So the first weeks and 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 month maybe is to build up the trust, to ask questions, to 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 demonstrate trust. But at the same time, of course, at the beginning, you kind of want to check. But there are people who've been there, and at times, let's say if somebody is very ill, it's understandable. That somebody will say, oh, I want to ring to see how my mum or dad or my husband or wife or my partner are. But again, if you ring at 10 o'clock in the morning, they may all be out and about looking after people, not being able to answer the phone. And then you're very anxious. And then you lose your trust. And then you lose your trust. So a different way of saying is to say, "I please, let's can we arrange that once a day at four in the afternoon, you ring me or I, you ring me to tell me how the day was. And if there is a big change in between, you, I know that you will ring me or text me or whichever way people communicate. You know, a lot of people now do it by WhatsApp and it's fantastic because it's quick. That is a much more productive way of communicating and building trust than ringing every two minutes. And the more the staff can't respond, the more you think, oh, they don't know what they're doing and maybe something happened and why are they not telling me? Either there's nothing to tell or they will tell you when it, when it comes to it. I would recommend that people work on and are open about and talk in the early days with the managers, with the team to build that. And the other thing is there is a tendency in some, some places by some people I only want to talk to the manager. So as soon as something I want to run to the manager, well, that doesn't help the team on the ground. Talk to them. They know your relative far better than the manager on the kind of, they, they work intimately with them. So there is always a carer or there is a nurse or there is the floor manager, or unit manager, or team leader, they have different names. Try and talk to them first, try and find out, try and find a solution. And if it doesn't work, then go, a level up uh, but if you always run to the manager and you don't create the relationship and they're scared of you they're worried oh here this person comes again what are they going to go and complain about today then they don't want to talk to you you come and they all kind of turn around and you feel what's wrong why are they not talking so it can really very quickly escalate or deteriorate when actually there wasn't a big problem in the first place so again we use that word that we started with communication is vital Absolutely. Let's be open. Let's be transparent. Let's ask questions. Let's contribute. So important. Um, sometimes people don't want to contribute. Oh, I don't know about the this and, the, you know, for example, with the care plan. No, I don't have time today. I'm working and etc. And then there is, oh, how come this is being done? So the more time is being put into giving information, the better job the home can do the better support they can give everyone all very interesting gabriella thank you thank you drew and as always um a pleasure to to share um because i am as hopefully people can hear very passionate about it uh, and trying really to help um both the teams in the care homes but people out there to both understand that if this becomes something that they have to use, then maybe it will make their journey into that a little bit easier. All very interesting, Gabriella. What will we be talking about in our next episode? Drew, uh, like in anywhere and everywhere, 
we always aim to for things to go well and a lot of the time they do but there are times when things don't go to plan or maybe they go to plan but the person on the receiving end uh, that may be a resident or indeed somebody acting on their behalf are not happy and then they need to know how to complain or how to feedback and I would like to talk about feedback because it's very important also to give good feedback but so how do we complain when or what do we do or who do we go to when things don't go quite our way uh, and the other aspect of things not going quite the right way is the issue of safeguarding it's been mentioned everywhere people I think are much more familiar now at least with the word and although I won't go into great detail, just to mention what is it and what is the responsibility a, of a care home regarding uh, safeguarding, the local authority who we mentioned before, but also to be honest, any person, any individual has a responsibility at least to report if they think that there is anything that is a safeguarding issue uh, for somebody. So. We will touch on those and um, again, as we say always, hopefully it will be both interesting and useful. Well, Gabriella, as always, a few essential resources for our listeners. The first is the Relatives and Residents Association and they support, inform and speak on behalf of older people in care. And you can find them at relres, R-E-L-R-E-S dot org, relres dot org. And the other, and we've mentioned it before, is the Care Quality Commission, cqc.org. Lots of information and resources there too. So, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye everyone. Goodbye, Drew. Goodbye, everybody.